Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked this down. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Let's start with a quote from the great Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. To love what is below the human is degradation. To love what is human for the sake of the human is mediocrity. To love the human for the sake of the divine is enriching. And to love the divine for its own sake is sanctity. End quote. And boy, we could sure use a little bit more of Fulton J. Sheen, venerable Fulton J. Sheen in our lives. And I highly encourage you, go to on the internet, especially go to YouTube. There's a lot of videos of his preaching, his sermons, his fantastic stuff. And of course, our friend Alan Smith is uh, one of the uh, big promoters of Fulton J. Sheen and his works. And you can get a lot of great books and recordings on his website. And we're going to put that up in the show notes. And we should probably, good reminder, to track down Mr. Smith again and talk to him about how the canonization process is going. Well, who doesn't like going to a good Catholic wedding? I mean, we've all come from different traditions. I myself is Slavic, so when we go to a wedding, we know where we're going to eat well and drink well and have a lot of fun. I know we have a lot of Italians and Irish folks that listen, and uh, they can probably say the same things. Maybe a slightly different food variation, but in other words, come for a celebration, come for a feast. And anytime we celebrate something here on earth, it should actually remind us that we're going to be, we were called and invited to the eternal feast in heaven. And as much fun as you can have at a wedding here, times that by a million and then times that by a million again when we go to heaven. That's how amazing that place is that Jesus has promised for us, for those who love him and keep his commandments. And he's building a mansion for us. He's building a dwelling in heaven right now for us so that where he is, there will we be also. And that's something we can really think about and ponder and discern and get excited about and really focus on what we need to do today to be a holy witness of Jesus Christ and his love. And what's a, a better thing than marriage? Marriage between a man and a woman, children, families, being fruitful. Oh, that is the foundation of our society. And the Catholic Church, in a lot of ways, we're the last one standing, defending this vital institution that comes from Jesus. And the fact of the matter is that marriage has always been held in high regard, regardless of what the civilization is, even before even before the Catholic Church in ancient times, marriage between a man and a woman was the foundation, the bulwark of the civilization. And it's under attack today. We see that. So how can we as Catholics combat that in a charitable, loving way, but also a firm way, thinking about our friends that are either getting married or in different types of relationships? How can we be a witness to them in sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and pointing out something that, is sinful, that is full of vice and pointing them to a life of virtue and joy in living out the gospel. How do we do this? Not easy, but we have the answers in the Catholic Church. That's the good news. And that answer is inside each and every one of our hearts and also through scripture and the catechism and the deposit of faith that the Catholic Church has given to us throughout all these centuries, right from the time of Jesus Christ. So here to help us explain this is someone that I'm just a, a real admirer from afar, and I'm so glad that we tracked her down and she's joining us. She's an author. She's uh, has a, had a blog in the past as well, but she does a lot of stuff on social media. Her name is Layla Miller. You're going to get a ton of great resources from following her, and I hope that you're going to have a little bit more courage in your heart after this conversation as we go through a few different topics about weddings and marriage 
and how us as Catholics, how we should be treating the institution of marriage. And hey, let's not change the playbook, okay? Don't deviate from the game plan. We've got the answers that Jesus has given us through the church. The institution of marriage, a sacramental marriage between a man and a woman is beautiful. So let's celebrate it and pray for the people that are called to the vocation of marriage. Most of us are called to that vocation. So let's pray for people and let's pray for people that are in marriages that are a little bit difficult. Maybe not a little bit, maybe a lot difficult. There's there's a lot of that in our culture, in our society today, even with our own church. So let's keep praying. And in the meantime, let's crack open some champagne, add some orange juice for the ladies. Let's go to, I don't know, some craft beer for the guys. And let's all agree that we do not want any more fruitcake as a wedding favor. I don't think anyone will have a problem if we permanently retire that tradition. Without any further ado, Layla Miller. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friend. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Well, Layla Miller is a writer, author, and commentator who has a great passion for Catholic Church teaching on marriage, family, and human sexuality. She's published four books and is also a wife, mother, grandmother, and our sister in Christ. So a lot's going on in Layla's life. We're so blessed to have her come on the Catholic Connect podcast. Welcome, Layla. Oh, it's so glad to be here, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so good. Such a blessing to have you, Layla. Thank you. Uh, you know what? It's the um, the days of summer in Alberta are very short compared to where you live, right? So <laughs> in, uh, in Arizona, I think uh, the, the joke up here is always we have... 11 months of winter and then one month of bad ice for hockey. And that's that's pretty much what we get here. Uh, it's always nice in Arizona. It's always wedding season down there too. So that's why I wanted to chat with you. So you had so much great stuff, Layla. So many great uh, observations and, and uh, commentary. There's so many things to talk to you about. But uh, this is the one I wanted to to uh, to pick your brain on and, and share some uh, viewer insights with our audience. But I always like to ask the uh, our guests, especially the first time they come on our podcast, um, what was sort of your your metanoia moment, or what was that um, that uh, the commitment to Jesus Christ and and taking that extra step to be uh, a more uh, upfront missionary, I guess, in the church, if that makes sense? When when did that happen for you, Layla? Mm, boy, that's a that's a good question. Um, and I wanted to spring it on you. I didn't want to I give know, you any warning since, either. Yeah. <laughs> well, and since we don't have all day, I'll give you the short version, which is that I was um, I was raised. Um, Catholic and went to mass every Sunday and Holy Day and all that. Very proud to be Catholic. Um, but again, catechized in the 1970s and 80s, which was really a deficient time uh, for catechesis and to public schools and um, basically was didn't fully know my faith. Let's put it that way. Uh, grew up, got married um, to a an agnostic Jewish man. And um, even though I'd wanted to find a Catholic man at Boston College and all this, Again, not really knowing my faith. Um, I was three kids in, let's see, we had three kids and I was ready to jump ship to a Bible church because I felt like they were stronger in culturally, you know, moral issues and things like that. And my mom placed a, a book of apologetics in my hands in, I think it was 1995 and I was probably 27 or so, and I had never heard or seen of apologetics before, and it captivated me. I started, because I'm a thinker, I'm a logical person, so for me, um, things have to make sense. That's, that's God kind of drew me through the, um, uh, the transcendental of, you know, truth, you know, some people are truth, some people are goodness, some people are beauty that draws them. For me, it was truth. So once I understood that the church had arguments for herself, you know, that this was true. 
I, I absolutely fell in love with the faith and that began my journey. My, my Jewish husband actually converted as well for shortly after I read And then we ended up, um, for the past, gosh, it's been, you know, over a quarter century now that we have been on fire, just absolutely learning more and more every day. And, um, it really hasn't ever stopped. And I just thank God because I, I look back and realize that our lady really was there for me the whole time when I was in Gravesend and when I was kind of, you know, out of the church for a while. And so it's been a, an incredible grace. And I'm now pinching myself daily at age 56, still thinking, how did this happen? You know, God is so good to us. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, I, I am, I can't imagine. And I still say to Dean sometimes, I don't even know what we used to be like or talk about before we both talk like, so anyway, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, some of those conversations from our youth seem so, um, so I guess, empty and fruitless sometimes when you think that they weren't animated by Catholicism or Christianity in some way, right? And Exactly. And uh, I think one of the things, and it's going to probably tie into what we're going to talk about as well, is, is uh, the conversations we have with our coworkers and our friends and family. You know, it's it's easy to talk about our sports teams and, and the weather and uh, you know politics or whatever, but we don't often talk about the truths of our faith, do, do we, Layla? It's it's difficult and it's something that we need to practice. But the one thing though, I think there's a lot of people, Layla, that are really looking for the truth and they're looking for the Catholic Church for guidance. And uh, all of us Catholics, all of us baptized, we all have a responsibility to share the truth with them and have some conversations. And it's you know. Sometimes you always think of the maybe the negative uh, consequences or the negative conversations you have with someone that maybe really disagree with something about the church or something they've they've observed from um, you know the actions of people in the Catholic Church. But mm-hmm. then you think back and like, oh, but you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people that were actually very positive, or they just didn't say anything, you know. And, and sometimes that's a good thing too, right? Like because people need to process these things as well when you're when mm-hmm. you're sharing your faith with them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does make sense. And, you know, I, 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 I've written articles. Um, there's one in particular that um, is something that kind of kept me from being fully Catholic for a while. And that was this idea that uh, fellow Catholics that I went to, in particular, a friend in high school, they gave me the answer to a question that I needed to hear on what I was doing and immoral acts that I was committing. I wanted to hear the truth. I really thought that this particular friend would tell me the truth of things because I think my conscience was bothering me. And instead, I think she gave what people um, think now that they have to give, which is um, kind of the nice answer, which is not necessarily the truth, but kind of the, well, I just want you to be happy. And I don't think that that you know, she could have told me the truth in in a kind way, which wouldn't have, maybe it would have stung a little bit, but I think people are looking for truth. It can be told in a, in a kind way, um, especially when someone asks, but instead we do no favors when, when we do what this friend did, which was basically to say, well, I just want you to be happy. You know, whatever you mm-hmm. want to do is fine as long as you're happy. And at the time it's like, well, I'm pretty happy in my sin. I mean, you know, I kind of like it and I kind of think I'm going to keep going in it. And she was like, yeah, okay. That's what God would want. So we're kind of doing no favors when we sugarcoat or, or want to be, um, or we think that we'll draw people to the faith by just saying what they want to hear or by being, um, likable in everything we say. 
you know, any challenge might offend them or make them feel um, upset. So we don't want to do that. And then somehow we think that's going to draw people to the faith, but really it just kind of keeps them at bay. I don't think it actually brings anyone to Jesus who says, I am, you know, the way, the truth and the life. And and so um, we're a little misguided at this point. And I always tell people, you know, the soul is made to receive the truth. We, we, we were made to seek and find truth. And so it's okay to speak the truth in love and, um, and not kind of try to get around it by a bunch of niceties, uh, you know, indefinitely until, you know, until we forget that we, we should have told them the truth in the first place. So. And feelings are so dangerous, aren't they? Emotions and, you know, especially oh. with anybody at any age, but what we're seeing here just with the, this, this trans movement, uh, so-called oh. trans movement and, and what's happening with, with children and adults alike. Uh, it just, it goes to show that we need to, to ground, uh, be grounded on objective truth, which is Jesus Christ. Right. You know, you know, what's interesting, Layla, I was just thinking about this right now. I don't know what it is. And I, I'm guilty of this as, as guilty as anybody, maybe more so than probably most is that you just want to be, you want to be liked. You want, you, you want to keep, keep the peace and it's a false peace, of course, but you just, you don't want people getting too fired up at you. You don't want to be too controversial, but you you look at Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. And not a lot of people like Jesus either. And let's just take one snapshot of that. And that's the the core key teaching of the Catholic Church, which is the Eucharist. And Jesus preaching in, in John 6, saying that unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life within you. And most everyone left. Actually, probably everyone left except for the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people didn't like what Jesus said there. They actually were quite angry at him, uh, if you know, you know, kind of the the Jewish tradition of of eating flesh and drinking blood, right? And them mm-hmm. totally not understanding. But Jesus was certainly willing to be controversial in that instance, and many others as well. And it's it's kind of funny how we're not following in those footsteps, right? And so someone said recently that you know the closer, um, the closer Christ got to the cross, the fewer people were around him. You know, so as even at the end, the all but St. John, all the apostles did not stick with him all the way to the foot of the cross. It was Mary and a couple other people and St. John. But uh, you find that true today. Like as, if our faith becomes difficult, if we have to live in a way that now the the powers that be or the culture doesn't like, and we have to stick with our our, our faith, our truth, stick with Jesus, um, even people who are Catholic will tend to not really want to stick around with us. They would rather be liked by the culture or not get into trouble. Or so, uh, you know, the closer you get to Jesus kind of walking towards his, his cross, um, you're going to find you might be more alone than you anticipated. And really that's okay. Like we, we kind of have to be comfortable with the idea that what Jesus said was true, which is that, you know, if they hated me, they're, they're going to hate you too. And you've got to pick up that cross and follow me. And yeah, that means dying to yourself and, um, you know, and being crucified, you know, and in whatever way that, that, that means for us today in this culture. So it's to be expected. I always tell people, if you're suffering for your faith, it's not a bad sign. It's a sign that perhaps you're living your faith correctly. And, um, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that something's gone wrong. So anyway, it's, it's a difficult time. People don't like to feel uncomfortable. And, and, and like you said, emotions are kind of what we run on now. Um, whereas in our faith, 
the emotions must be subordinate to the intellect and the will, but we have emotions running the train. You know, they're basically running the joint and um, gets us, it gets us off base. It really takes us away from, from the truth of Christ. Yeah, truly it does. There was a great article that you wrote in Crisis Magazine called Nine Bad Arguments for Catholics Attending Invalid Weddings. And I actually like the stock photo that they, they put up because it makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, there's, uh, they're at a beach getting married with a, uh, a minister that's a, a woman, uh, probably a, you know, a justice of the peace of some sort. But it kind of um, encapsulates what a lot of people think marriage is now. The first thing you think of when people get married, uh, you don't think about going to a beautiful basilica or a cathedral or something like that to get married. Most people are thinking going to a beach or, or somewhere outside, uh, you know, just looking at the surroundings of, of nature versus you know, what God thinks about marriage and uh, and that that union. So there's, boy, where where does someone begin here? But it's so important, I guess, just to start with a general statement that us Catholics we start to act Catholic again when it comes to uh, spreading the truth about marriage and traditional values. This is something that you don't really have. You don't have to be Catholic even to recognize traditional values, um, natural law, a man and a woman, families, children. These are all beautiful things that other people can recognize. But even in our own church, we're starting to to really slip here in the last few decades, aren't we, Layla? Just on generally um, making marriage attractive to not only to people inside of our church and outside, but also just embracing the cross and and understanding that that is a part of being uncomfortable in this life. We have to be comfort comfortable with being uncomfortable. Boy, there's so much to be said on what has gone wrong, even with Catholics understanding of marriage. Uh, I will say that we, we too often have taken on the cultural understanding of marriage being sort of this thing between two, you know, a man and a woman, well, not even a man and a woman anymore, but, but let's, Let's say, you know, even Catholics, maybe even some of the looser ones might say, yeah, okay, well, it's still between a man and a woman, but they see it as uh, a romance. Like that, the whole point of it is that you're supposed to be romantic with this person that's going to fulfill your um, emotional needs and be this great partner that's always going to be with you. And, and if that, you know, and children are kind of like, eh, you know, whether you want kids or not, what does that matter? This is about us and it's about our romantic relationship. And that's kind of what, you know, some people have called like, it's the romantic view of marriage, but that has never really been the natural law or the, the created order vision of marriage. When, when God created marriage in the garden, you know, it wasn't about like, Oh, you know, they feel so, uh, they're just so romantic. And no, it was, it was for a purpose. Like the, the two, the man and the woman come together um, and they, they procreate, they, they create uh, ch- children together in their union, and then they form and educate and raise those children up together in this stable environment to learn and know about God and about truth. And so we've kind of lost the idea that this uh, is a family-making union, first of all, that the primary end of marriage is children. The church has never changed that. And, uh, And that it really doesn't matter if somewhere along the line you're not feeling romantic, you know, with this partner. This is not about, um, you know, getting butterflies all the time. So people start to think, even Catholics, like, well, you know, this is about us feeling just really in love. And and so then the minute we don't feel in love, it means we could, we probably pick the wrong guy or the wrong girl so we can move on, you know, and find something else. And um, and they also think of it as a private affair. Like we can get married on the beach because it means something to us or in the mountains. And 
actually, it's a public affair. Marriage is very public. And for a Catholic, especially because we are uh, under canon law, baptized Catholics are obligated under canon law to get married with the witness of the church in, in a Catholic church or to get a dispensation from the bishop um, in order to have a valid marriage. So these are things we're not even taught because again, we're, we're swept away by the idea that it's just this big romantic party and it's so wonderful. And, um, and we're living this, you know, princess dream or something. And it's like, nope, that's actually not what it is. <laughs> and and we're so quick to, to try to are like almost like reinvent the wheel. I don't know why we do this in the church. I shouldn't say we, because not, not everyone is like this, but we have a certain, I guess, uh, section of, of Catholics that, you know, we were seeing this kind of with this synod and synodality where it's yeah. this listening church. It's, uh, it's strange. We've got everything we need in scripture, the yeah. catechism of the Catholic church and the perennial teachings of the church through the magisterium, right? So those, <laughs> those three pillars that we have. And it's a, it's a pretty simple playbook actually. You know, someone looking at the catechism, scripture, you know, the the teachings of the church, say, oh, man, there's there's a lot there. There's a lot to digest. Well, actually, it's pretty easy to find it out now. Actually, it's easier to to access the this objective truth and, and the, the teachings of the church more so than it was, you know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? It's it's right at our fingertips on our phone if we need it. Uh, it's the playbook for success, and we just don't seem to follow it. I don't understand why we don't go to um, uh, the, the, the point of, having bearing fruit in marriage, having children in marriage, that is marriage is unitive, but it's also to bring forth children and families. And and that would really help our, our, uh, our cause in a lot of ways, as opposed to, you know, kind of waffling, sitting on the fence with these different, um, you know, kind of the, the flavors of the month or the flavor flavors of the week and, and, uh, and taking marriage out of churches and yeah, like I said, putting them on beaches and then what kind of, what value does it have? Then it's really, is just based on feeling and, not something you're doing, uh, making a commitment and a vow before God and before your community as well, your parish community and your family and friends as well. So the uh, the article itself is, is is really good. I think that I was just reading through it and I was just checking the boxes. Like I, I can relate to all of this because I've heard all of it. But um, first thing I think we need to to address is that we're as we're recording this, we got out of the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, right, Layla? June, that's what everybody knows June for. Uh, yes. At least in the church, right? So <laughs> that's what we should be thinking of, right? And the uh, month of humility, I believe, is what we call it. So I think that's the, uh, yeah, that's the virtue we're supposed to be thinking of. Exactly. Not, not any anything else. <laughs> that's right. You were telling me offline that you're taking a, a bit of a break from social media for July. I think maybe I'll take one next June. Maybe that'll be my a, uh, my, my uh, time to take one off. I think but. that's a great time to be <laughs> off offline, right? Yes. But how do Catholics address um, some of these, uh, I guess we call them, what do they call them in the church? Irregular unions, or uh, especially amongst, I guess I should say amongst uh, those who are in same-sex relationships. Uh, they, there are unions of some, they might call them marriages. They have, uh, you know, we have a justice of the peace that comes in and, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word marry, but you know what I mean when I say that. And I think everybody else does as well. But how do Catholics approach that? Because you know, it's uh, you know, sadly, we're most families have uh, someone, or maybe even more than one person in their family that's that's going down this route in their life, and there's going to be some uncomfortable conversations and situations we're going to be in. Maybe this whole crazy COVID thing was a bit of a blessing because I know almost everybody's had awkward conversations and interactions with their families over that time, mm-hmm. for varying reasons, but. This is something that's pretty important, uh, especially in the culture and 
and uh, even as it seeps more into the Catholicism and, and the, the Catholic Church and our people around us, uh, we need to be that, a bold witness. So how, how should we approach uh, these folks, especially our, our family members and our friends that may invite us to come to these ceremonies? But how, what's, I guess, the best way to, uh, to charitably address these situations? Mm. That one. Yeah. So those, you know, even um, <laughs> the because the gray areas we sometimes talk about are, you know, a, a man and a woman getting married outside the church. And some priests will say, yes, you can go and some won't. If you get a priest who tells you that it's okay to go to a same sex ceremony, uh, find a different priest altogether. I mean, th there's not even a gray area in that because this doesn't even follow uh, a natural law understanding of uh, a natural order um, between a man and a woman, you know, a man and woman getting married. There's no even, there's no consummation even possible. There's nothing that can be, um, we can't even call it an irregular marriage because of course, you know, it can't be rectified. There's no way to turn it into um, a, a marriage and there's no blessing that or, or, or convalidation. There's nothing that can come from this particular type of, uh, you know, ceremony or relationship. So, uh, it's, it's, it's not, um, any, there's no force on earth <laughs> priest or not could give permission for you to witness something like this, because it actually is an inversion of truth. It's an inversion of marriage. So hopefully most Catholics who are somewhat practicing would say, well, we understand, you know, that, that, that really, we've got to just, politely decline again there's never a need to be rude or um mean to anyone uh we always have to be kind because kindness is a virtue niceness is not a virtue that's a whole other thing no. but to be kind to people yeah niceness is ugh. but yeah, kind is there a latin word for that i don't know a greek word for nice no uh, yeah well actually i think <laughs> I if you look up the etymology the nice means um like to be st stupid like honestly oh, I right think you're right actually right Layla. i think yeah, yeah I, I remember hearing something about that but uh, yeah yes yes so you could always be kind no matter what the sinner might be doing and 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 perhaps they're in ignorance perhaps they are just you know it, it doesn't even matter from our perspective you could be kind but certainly you're not going to be involved with something that is that offensive to god and if we lest we forget i mean the the activities of of same sex people that is traditionally one of the sins that cries out to heaven for vengeance so really mm. to be involved in a celebration of that would be something that absolutely not you did as a catholic there's just no way so um you know politely decline and and move along you can certainly be friendly and um you know with the person or the, the, in other ways but certainly not at a ceremony no way <laughs> and it might seem silly to some of our listeners because we know that a lot of them are already on on board with this is preaching to the choir but there are some people that need to hear that for sure and mm -hmm. especially if, if it's a friend or a family member that was a baptized catholic that is something that's, you know, it's it's definitely something that we need to um, to charitably say, you know, no, but we also need to maybe explain ourselves as well. But it's also important to, to note, Layla, too, because a lot of people work in the secular world. You may have co-workers that are friends that are that are living this lifestyle, uh, even if they're not Catholics or not Christian, not even baptized, nothing like that. We also need to decline those invitations as well and charitably explain our position as well, right? Yes, because um, whether or not so and it it can seem complicated. It's really not once you once you know the the lay of the land with marriages and marriage law, but um, so for 
for non-Catholics, so if someone isn't baptized Catholic, let's say both parties, neither one is baptized Catholic, maybe they're Protestant. And again, this, this has to do with the actual baptism. If you're baptized in the Catholic Church, you have an obligation your whole life um, to be under the marriage laws of the church, whether you know it or not. For others, other Christians who are baptized in Protestant denominations or people who are unbaptized, like a Buddhist or an atheist or a Jew or whatever, um, they don't have the same obligation that a baptized Catholic does. So you could go as a Catholic to what is called a natural marriage for the unbaptized or if one of them is unbaptized, or even um, if it's two Protestants, even if they're not married in a church, that can, that we consider that to be a sacramental marriage, even though they don't know it is, but they're both two, two baptized Christians. That would be okay. Like a Catholic could go to a natural uh, valid marriage, which would be unbaptized uh, parties or party. And Protestants who were baptized Protestant, you could go to their wedding. Um, and that would be okay. You know, if, if, if you're fine with that, if you're friendly with that, you know, don't, don't get involved in any uh, like Hindu ceremony, religious things. If you're going, you know, make sure it's just a, mm -hmm. a natural um, marriage without any complication that you're going to somehow be involved in a, in a pagan ritual. But um, there's no prohibition on that. But if you are, um, but there's nothing that can quote unquote be natural uh, about two to men or to women who are attempting marriage, whether at just a natural or or whether they were baptized, doesn't matter. Nothing in nature makes that okay. So you can't um you can't go to any of that, even if they're not baptized Catholic, even if they're, you know, completely pagan, that's not a union that is blessable you know that it's mm -hmm. under, under natural law that can never be a marriage ever so you can never go and pretend that you are witnessing something that is good if you go like i said let's say two atheists are getting married on the beach they've never been baptized that would be something that um is a natural valid marriage believe it or not you could go to that because it isn't sacramental that's true but that's not what makes it um uh valid for that that person they're 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 okay because we wouldn't expect two atheists to get married in the catholic church but god did create marriage for all for all people not just for christians he, he created marriage for you know every every human being on the planet can access marriage if that is uh if they reach you know reach the age of adulthood or whatever um so it's not something exclusive to catholics to be married that's not i don't know if this makes sense but natural law is the moral law of god that applies to all and that's why you see all societies whether they are pagan societies whether they are buddhist societies whether they are jewish societies you see people get married you see male and female come together to produce children in a marriage god created marriage so what what christ did when he came was he elevated marriage for Christians, for baptized Christians to be a sacrament, which means now it's indissoluble. Now yeah, this is this is sacramental and it's it's higher. And Catholics have a higher obligation than a Buddhist does, for example, to get married. So I don't know, it can, it can sound complicated. It's really not once you understand natural law and the fact that Christ just elevated things for Christians in marriage, um, which is why we get to what we get to in my article, which is for Catholics getting married, they can't just do what two atheists would do and go get married at the justice of the peace and it would be fine or go get married on the beach and it would be fine 
you've got Catholics who have to follow Catholic law, which is not just natural law, which is the moral law of God, but also church law, which is canon law. So that's where we get into the trickiness. Where it's not hard to teach people this, but we've just never heard it from our priests. We don't hear it from the pulpit mm -hmm. to say, you know what? You can't go to an, any invalid marriage because that would be offensive to God. That's such an important distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. That's really good. You know, I was thinking about, uh, well, our present day, kind of touched on it earlier. Everybody has access to the truth now which is kind of scary too in some ways. It's a great blessing, but it's a little scary too because, uh, you know, we know that's one of the, in, in eschatology, right? The, the times of the end, it says that the whole world will have a chance to know the gospel, right? So, uh, so we know we're getting close because with the advent of the internet, we know people have access to that. But, you know, I was thinking, Layla, about uh, civilizations and societies that, you know, before uh, the Catholic Church and missionaries came to see them or even before the time of Christ, marriage and union between a man and a woman was understood as being forever in most of those civilizations and cultures, right? So, yes. um, and I wonder, you know, just thinking about, you know, how God reveals uh, himself to people, even those who may, may not have heard of God or, or maybe some people after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't come to know Jesus yet. Um, there were ways that God could reveal himself to these people. And I wonder if just through their marriages, that maybe that's that's a, a place that he would reveal them and and bring them to heaven at the end. I don't know. Hopefully we can hope anyways. <laughs> but so, um, yes, the the natural law. Um, and I and Trent Horn and I from Trent's from Catholic Answers. We wrote a book yes. called uh, Made This Way, and we do talk mm -hmm. about natural law because natural law is the universal moral law of God. Every human being has that kind of um, imprinted and planted on their hearts. Everybody knows on some level in their conscience, they know that murder is wrong. They know that rape is wrong. They know that, you know, theft is wrong. All these different things. They know that feeding the hungry is right. They know that clothing mm -hmm. the naked is right. This is called natural law. And St. Paul talks about it, you know, in the, in, um, the New Testament where he says, um, you know, even the pagans can see through creation. Mm -hmm. They can see how they need to act. So when you say the thing about marriage, you know, because that's a natural law issue, every society has had it, you are absolutely right that they also know that there's a permanence to it, that it's a lifelong thing. And um, so even those 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 valid natural marriages that still take place that are totally valid, like I said, you know, two, two atheists or um, two Buddhists, they are meant to be permanent. That's how God created marriage, you know, until one dies. And and what Christ did was he just, he made it, it, for Christians, he made it indissoluble, meaning you can have a permanent valid marriage, but there still could be a time, even as St. Paul said, where if one were to convert to the faith, for example, and the, and the unbaptized one would say, nope, I'm not letting you live in peace, you could have a bishop dissolve that natural marriage. It was still intended mm -hmm. to be permanent, but there are individual cases where, we call that the Pauline privilege and the Petrine privilege, where the church can intervene. However, in a Christian marriage that is sacramental, there is not any man on earth, including the Pope, you know, including the bishop, who could ever dissolve that marriage because that is sacramental. It is only ended by death of one of the spouses. So again, all this stuff, like you said, you can learn this stuff in a day, you know, um, and it could, uh, it's accessible to everyone. And it's not my, my, favorite saying now is, you know, the faith is not brain surgery. 
none of this is gobbledygook, gobbledygook you know, um, some kind of psychobabble that's too difficult to co comprehend with our brains. Natural law is easily um, attainable through the light of human reason alone, which is why we can say, um, you know, that murder is wrong because mm -hmm. that is, you can get there through the intellect, through, through human reason alone and divine revelation is not needed to tell someone that murder is wrong, for example. So that's the natural law. That's the 10 commandments. Um, the things that we would need divine revelation for are things that we can't get to on our own, such as the nature of the Trinity, such as the Marian doctrines, the, uh, the nature of the sacraments, that would be more creed, you know, th the things in our creed that we understand through, um, through a divine revelation that Christ came to teach, to, to, to leave with his church. So anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but sometimes, sometimes I, I like to clarify <laughs> the basics. Oh, and that's fantastic. And, and we need that sometimes. A lot of people know this. Sometimes you just need a little reminder, right? You need a little pushback in the right direction. Yes. On the level of participation, so I, I think you you, you uh, drew it out really well for us, Layla, and, and what the church's view is on natural law, making that distinction as well. Uh, when someone is participating, say it's their second marriage, maybe the first marriage hasn't been dissolved in the eyes of the church yet. Uh, a couple gets married, a, a man and a woman get married. Someone decides, well, you know, I'm not going to go to the ceremony because... I disagree with the, the ceremony. It's not in the Catholic church. Um, you know, there might be some issues of a divorce or something still in the background, but I'm going to go to the, the hall and have supper and go to the dance. <laughs> uh, this happens often as well. I've heard people say, yeah, I didn't go to the ceremony cause I don't agree with that, but I still went to the dinner. Mm. Uh, maybe I know that that may sound a little silly to some, but there is actually something important to address there as well. Should someone attend the, uh, the after party and the, and the, uh, yeah, the dinner and the speeches and all that stuff. Maybe the speech is something a lot of people wish they could skip out on, but that's another story. But you know where I'm going with that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right. And this is um, this is one of those things that comes up a lot where people will say, or the priests will tell parishioners, you can't go to the ceremony, but you can show up for the party. And that's kind of baffling because, of course, what what is the party? Well, it's celebrating what happened at the ceremony. Well, what are we celebrating? You know, why are you dancing? Why are you toasting? Why are you telling the couple to kiss? You know, why are you? And if you're talking about, um, so clearly we couldn't morally do that. I mean, that, that is just kind of, it, it should make sense to us that we cannot celebrate something that we know is objectively immoral. That That is morality 101. None of us really have a problem understanding that. It's just that we really don't want to pay the price of not going, right? So we try to find a way around it. If somebody has been married before and has not, you know, had a church annulment or has not had the church has not dealt with that, whether or not it's a again, in this case, whether or not it's a Catholic or not, that means there's a previous spouse, which really what that means is there's a spouse that really means that one of the people at least is already married. Now, we know from Christ and St. Paul that if somebody is married there you know you cannot divorce them and you cannot then remarry like that that is a whole thing that's right there explicitly in the scripture that says that is adultery which of course we know it's adultery because if you're married and then you try to marry someone else you're committing adultery this is not complicated so 
while you can't go to the unnatural, you know, the gay wedding, you also can't ever go to an adulterous wedding because mm -hmm. there's a previous family. There's a previous, there's a spouse. It's, it's not been, it's not been declared null, you know, nothing has happened. So that's adultery. So why would you go to a party afterwards that is celebrating an adulterous affair? Um, that's one of the big 10, right? Thou shalt not commit yes. adultery. Again, we want to complicate it and we want to appease our friends and family and the loved ones when really what we're doing is betraying Christ. And I know that sounds harsh and I know that sounds mean in this day and age, but I guarantee you it did not sound mean to previous Christians. Previous Christians would not think of doing something like this. So and in our evangelization efforts lately, it's important that we're consistent with that, isn't it? Yeah. It's one, you know, for, for us to go and say, oh, well, no, we can't go to the, the gay weddings, but there's, a, but we'll go to this one here, this uh, irregular union of some sort, right? So we'll go to that one because yeah. it's a man and a woman, but we'll go to the, the gay wedding. It's really important for us Catholics. We need to be, if we want to be authentic witnesses of the gospel, we've got to be consistent, don't we? We can't be picking our and choosing our, um, you know, the, the different vices here. Uh, we don't, a sin's a sin, right? So a sin's uh, a sin that's so important, isn't it? Yes, mm. and, and a mortal sin uh, or deadly matter, grave matter. And yes, there can be gradations of gravity in these deadly sins. That That's true. Like, for example, an abortion is more grave than contraception. But both of those are in the realm of grave sin. Like, that can separate you from the love of Christ. You know, you will go to hell if you willfully do this and don't repent. So while we can have gradations in mortal sin um, or grave sins, um, it, it doesn't mean you can commit any of them. So without really serious consequences. So for example, whether it's a gay wedding, quote unquote wedding, or whether it's an adulterous wedding, quote unquote, or whether it's the bulk of what I deal with in my article, which is a, a amounts to fornication, um, no previous spouses. Yes, it's a man and a woman, but they are getting married. They're Catholics who are getting married outside the church. It's not a wedding. So then you have fornication. So basically you're, we're saying nope, nope to, um, to gay marriage, nope to adulterous marriage and no to fornication, which is just a simulation of a wedding that never actually is happening. So all of those things, whether it's fornication, adultery, or, uh, you know, um, a homosexual acts, all of them are forbidden in the moral law. And so, yes, we can't say, well, we're going to be okay with fornication but not adultery or, you know, um, homosexual acts, or we're going to be okay with adultery, but not, you know, uh, homosexual acts, or we're going to be, no, we're not okay with any of them because every one of them violates God's commands and it offends Christ. It offends God. And, and it offends against the virtue of, of chastity. It offends against the virtue of, um, you know, modesty, all of it. I mean, it offends against a sacrament, which is marriage and even the natural law. Um, it offends against all of it. So that's why we're saying, you know what? We're so sorry. We love you. <laughs> God bless you. We hope and pray that, you know, um, that we all can, end up together in heaven and, and, and you're, and I won't cut you out of my life. It's not like you're even saying I'll cut you out of my life. It's just that I cannot participate in something that is harmful. First of all, to my soul, because of, first of all, we are responsible for our own souls, but also then to your souls, 
because, you know, you may not know this is wrong, but I'm telling you right now, you're baptized Catholic. This is wrong. Um, but also it's offensive to God. And number one, actually priority is to not offend God. We, we live in this, um, I like to say, again, we live in this culture of inversion where we invert everything. So I tell people, look for inversions. So we have inverted the first and second great commandments because Jesus said, uh, love your, you know, the, the, the two great commandments, which is the synthesis of all other commandments, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. But what we've tended to do is we've put neighbor ahead of God. So instead of worrying first about offending God, we're worried about offending our neighbor. And that's, that can never be, I mean, we cannot invert the, the, the two great commandments that Christ gave us. And yet that's literally our mode of, you know, operation now in society is how do I not offend my neighbor? And then I'll worry about what God thinks because he'll understand, right? Absolutely. That's for sure. So the article is called Nine Reasons Catholics Should Not Attend Invalid Weddings. I'm going to put this in the show notes for people to to read because it's a, some great stuff here that Layla put together. I wanted to touch base just on this this one here, though. It was uh, this is the eighth one, and you call it the cruelest argument of, of all, and I agree with you 100%. But saying when people say to us, well, if you don't attend these ceremonies and, and this marriage, so-called marriage, uh, you're going to push people away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that's a tough one because, you know, a lot of us, we say, okay, well, you know, that might affect our relationship with you personally back and forth. But when they bring in Jesus in a relationship, maybe with the church that they'd fallen away from and, uh, and, and a relationship with the, the person of Jesus Christ, that, that really stings a lot, doesn't it? And, uh, how do people address that if they get challenged that way? Yeah, that hurts. And, and the reason it hurts is because it puts the burden, um, on the people who are already trying, they're trying hard to do the right thing. You know, let's say it's a, let's say it's a parent who doesn't want to attend the immoral, un, non-Catholic marriage of their child, whom they love. They're not trying to break a relationship with the child, but they have baptized this child, they've raised this child up, and this child is now getting married on a beach somewhere, right, with no dispensation. That is so cruel for people to say, and I've heard even priests have used this against parents. You know, they're trying to do the right thing. And uh, they're being told, you know, here you are struggling to do the moral thing. And you're being told you're pushing people away from God. You're pushing people away from the church, from Christ. And it's like, what, what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live virtuously, not offend God. And I'm being told in trying to do in, in actually doing the right thing that I'm pushing people away from Christ. I always say, what saint who, by the way, the, the saints on earth, you know, when they were um, canonized, it's because they were saintly on earth. There's not a saint that we know of that would knowingly be involved with deadly sin, celebrate it, be, you know, happy about it, go get their nails done and their hair and, you know, go dance and have fun. There's not a single saint who would participate in a deadly sin, offend God that way, and then we would say, Oh yeah, that saint was definitely pushing pushing people away from Christ because they wouldn't go and participate in an evil. We would never say that about the saints, right? You just yep. never would think that that we'd never say that a saint pushed people away from Christ. And yet the saint would never participate in evil. So then the question becomes why are we saying that to people who are trying to do the right the holy thing? It's a mm -hmm. cruel argument. It it doesn't make sense. If you um if you go with 
the child, let's say, okay, I want to accompany them because I want them to stay close to Christ. And the only way I can do that is to go into the sin with them, to go into the muck with them. I would say we have an example of how that is absolutely a lie. It's it's emotional blackmail, first of all. That whole thing is just emotional blackmail. We wouldn't allow it anywhere else. Um, mm-hmm. But look at the prodigal father. You know, the prodigal son, he goes off. He breaks his, his, his father's heart. He goes off into sin, to, decides to leave everything his father taught, you know, take the inheritance and go. The father does not say, wait, I'm going to come with you so that I can make sure that you don't lose track of, you know, what is good. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to celebrate whatever you're celebrating. I'm going to do whatever sin you're doing. No, he stays and he waits. He waits back over at home. And then the son, when he finally realizes, I need to get back to my father, he has something to go back to. He doesn't. And so the father didn't go out into the muck with the son. The son has a plow, has a, has a, has something solid to go back to when he's repentant and when he mm-hmm. turns back to Christ. So again, there's no, um, there's no part of our patrimony, our philosophy, our moral teaching that could ever say that one way you keep people close to Christ is by participating in their sin. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's great. I, you know, I really like that. And that goes for, um, for other avenues of sin that people go down. They need uh, a rock. They need someone uh, that's grounded in their faith, grounded in a relationship with Jesus, living in a right relationship with Christ and, and going to confession, living in a state of grace so that they can have someone to go back to to help them get back on the straight and narrow themselves, right? I think that's that's so important. I really, really like that a lot. Well, amen. And I will just add to that what happens usually if someone does go and follow them into their sin, usually Satan doesn't just get the child. The Satan will eventually get the, the rest of the family. Because mm-hmm. it starts to lull you into this uh, compromise. Well, I can I can yes. do this and that, and and more times than not, you will see that the entire family um, starts to make excuses and you know wait like in some case you know wave the rainbow flag or do whatever. Yes. Um, and then they're lax with the other kids. The other kids see the laxity, so then they know they can get married outside the church, and it infects the whole family. And that uh, rock is gone, and now it's all shifting sand, and Satan gets the whole family instead of just one. Yeah, and who hasn't seen that in, in families and even in our own families? Uh, we all have stories just like that for sure. And I, you know, I was thinking it doesn't take very long, Layla, for people to lose their faith and generations to lose their faith. Um, you yes. know, you think of, of grandparents that, you know, maybe were really rooted in their faith, lived out in the prairies or something like that. And they really depended on the providence of God to survive the winters and, and uh, they were faithful people. But, you know, they pass away. If their kids start to lose their faith, grandkids, I always think of, of the souls in purgatory, right? I think of our church suffering and how many people have been forgotten about that were trying to, you know, raise their kids in the faith and, and their grandkids and, and pass along that legacy of the church and, and a relationship with Christ, but it's been all lost. And now they're in purgatory, forgotten. And uh, boy, that I, I hope that uh, that gives a, yeah, some some pause for all of us uh, listening to this podcast and, and how we need to just keep praying and that, uh, that all of us can come to a relationship with Jesus and keep that relationship going, keep that fire going, right, Layla? So, uh, Layla, thanks so much for your time. I got so many things that I could ask you about, so I'm really glad that at least I, I zeroed in on this article and, and so many great insights from you. really appreciate it. Uh, I hope we can stay in touch. Maybe let our listeners know how they can contact you and where they can find your content. 
Absolutely. Thank you, David. Um, I have a website, laylamiller.net. It's L-E-I-L-A miller.net. And um, I blog there occasionally and have some uh, marriage support for people who are in, you know, difficult marriages. And uh, you can, you can look there. Perfect. That sounds great. Layla, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, David. God bless you. Well, big thanks again to Layla Miller for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. Again, the website, laylamiller.net, and a great follow on Facebook as well. A lot of great resources and insights. Layla's always posting something there that's uh, very good, very fruitful, and you're going to get a lot out of it. You're going to learn a lot. So thanks again to Layla for joining us. Let's give the last word to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It has so many fantastic resources and writings that you can get there as well. Again, you don't have to be a Catholic to carry around the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Just bring it around with you. There's The truths in here are just so rich and so good. Let's go to paragraph number 1644 on the unity and indissolubility of marriage. It says this, The love of the spouses require of its very nature the unity and indissolubility of the spouse's community of persons, which embraces their entire life. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. They are called to grow continually in their communion through day-to-day fidelity to their marriage promise of total mutual self-giving. This human communion is confirmed, purified, and completed by communion in Jesus Christ, given through the sacrament of matrimony. It is deepened by lives of the common faith and by the Eucharist received together. So we're so thankful that God is the author of all things that are good. He is the author of marriage. It does take three to get married. As the great venerable Archbishop Sheen said uh, in a book with that title, uh, a marriage is between man, woman, and with God as well. It's got to take all three. So let's renew our commitments to our spouses. Let's pray for those who are in difficult marriages. Let's pray for those who are separated and let's pray for the courage to be outspoken about how beautiful this gift is. One of the many, many beautiful gifts that the Catholic Church has on this way to salvation. Well, marriage is one of them. So let's defend it. Let's talk about it. And let's be that example that God wants us to be in our marriages. And let's all pray for each other too, because I know it's not easy for for everyone. Uh, and I'm sure the ones that you think are probably, oh man, this, this couple's got it all. It's uh, It's perfect. Well, you only see a very small uh, part of people's marriages, right? There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that you may not know. So let's just pray for everybody. Let's pray for that perseverance, the patience, and the courage to to live up to our vows that we made on our wedding days. And uh, I'll pray for you, and you pray for my wife, Teresa, and I as well, and our family. Uh, boy, I would really appreciate that. So thank you so much. And if you've gone to a marriage that maybe... After this conversation with Layla, you're starting to realize, oh, I probably shouldn't have gone to that union. That probably was not a Catholic marriage uh, the way that, that God intended it to be. That's okay. We're here to learn. We're not here to judge. We're just here to learn the truth and the beauty of the Catholic faith. And if you've gone and maybe you went willingly, just go to confession. It doesn't hurt. Go to confession. Tell your parish priest this. Hey, I've learned something new. Not going to do it again. And now I'm going to learn a little bit more about the beauty of of marriage and how we can share that beauty with others. Well, thanks for listening to the Catholic Canuck podcast, everyone. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Keep in touch with me through those avenues and also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you find your fine podcasts. And remember, let's pray for each other, right? 
because where you are, that's where Jesus is. And I know sometimes we have some bad days, some rough days, but remember, you're on team Jesus. You're on team RC, Roman Catholic, and we need you to be on the team. We need you to be engaged. We need you to be living in a state of grace and sharing the gospel with everybody, wherever you are. So let's pray for each other that we can fulfill our vocation and do God's will every day. And if you're not a Catholic, I want to invite you to come join our ranks. We're looking for more people all the time. Remember, we got all the noise out there in the media and other avenues and platforms. We got to tune that out. And we got to realize that it's really all about Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. We've got the catechism, we've got scripture, and we've got the deposit of faith. And that love of Jesus Christ, that relationship, you may already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So all this is going to do for you is it's just going to magnify how much Jesus loves you and your relationship with him will grow and grow so much. So I'm again inviting you. And if you ever need any help, ask me. And I know we got a team of listeners that are just waiting to help you on this journey to the Catholic church and to eternal life. And of course, for our Catholics out there, maybe you haven't been to confession in a long time. Well, you got to go. You got to go at least three times every year. You got to go every Lent, you got to go every Advent, and you got to go anytime you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.